Blog Talk Radio. Okay, good evening and welcome to Blog Talk Radio. The author of Pigs in the Parlor, Frank Hammond. Rejection. And I encourage you to listen with the best of your understanding. What we're going to be sharing with you tonight is on the subject of rejection, how to overcome the wounds of rejection. And what I'm sharing with you tonight is a precipitation out of many things that we have learned over 21 years of involvement in the ministry of counseling and deliverance. We're finding that this is a very major problem and a very common problem, and one which all too often has been neglected. You know, we were talking the other day about how the devil works by definite methods. We saw in the in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6 and verse 11, that when it talks about the wiles of the devil, it talks about literally the methods. That's what the word means. The method are settled plans that the devil has devised and used to try to capture every person. So what we're talking about tonight is to expose a method that the devil has employed to capture every one of us in this room. Everyone in the world, Satan uses this same scheme to try to capture their life. And I know from that that each one of you will be able to identify in large measure with the things that we will expose tonight and the pattern of spirits that Satan tries to put up within a person's life. Let's begin by looking at a verse in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. This is an, in a, an important verse inasmuch as Jesus is quoting here from Isaiah as he's in the synagogue one day and saying that this prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled. As Isaiah had prophesied the kind of a ministry that Jesus would bring. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, or some translations say to the afflicted. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Now that last phrase interests me. You would naturally have thought that when he talked about people who are bruised, that he would say that he came to heal those that are bruised. But instead he said he came to set at liberty those that are bruised. That means that people who have been wounded, people who have been bruised and hurt, in a measure have been brought into some kind of a bondage from which they need to be set free. And that's what we're going to learn about tonight. It's interesting to me that in quite a few passages in the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, there is a definite correlation between deliverance and healing. Let's look at a few of those verses. If we have our outline put on the uh, projector up there, if you put the first page up there, uh, we have the outline of our teaching. You'll be able to see it up here on the screen tonight and maybe follow it more closely. Some of you may have already picked up a copy of our book, Overcoming Rejection. It's not a really large book, but it's a very important book. And I'll be sharing to you out of what is given in that book tonight. But I really want to stress again the importance of what I'm sharing with you. 
Because what I'm sharing with you is something that's going to be important to you the rest of your life. And that's the reason I want you to hear with full understanding. Because sometimes we don't even understand ourselves. Sometimes we wonder, well, why am I like I am? Why do I act like I do? Why do I react like I do? You're going to get a perception of yourself tonight as to why you are like you are. And then all of us have to relate to other people who sometimes are a little bit difficult to relate to. And some of them are a whole lot difficult to relate to. And sometimes we just throw our hands up and say, well, I don't know what to do about that person. I try to relate to them and I never know how they're going to be. They're changeable. They act like one person at one time and somebody else at another time. You're going to get an insight into the lives of people who show instability in their personalities. And I am completely persuaded of this. I've seen it over and over again. Whenever you find a person who is to any degree unstable in his personality, you're going to discover that the root of that person's problem is the wound of rejection. So rejection is something that every one of us, of us have experienced. Some of us, the wounds have been far-reaching. And God is going to show you what that has caused and how to be healed and to overcome the wounds of rejection. Then we have some scriptures here on the screen. And these relate healing and deliverance. In Acts 10 and verse 38, where Peter is describing the ministry of Jesus, who was anointed of the Holy Ghost, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So when people were delivered, those people who were demonized and as a result were oppressed, the scripture here says that they were healed. Jesus healed those who were oppressed of the devil. Another place where that same Greek word occurs is in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 28. In the context there, Jesus has encountered a Syrophoenician woman whose little daughter is grievously vexed with a demon. And when Jesus ultimately delivers that child of that demonization, it says that the little girl was made whole. And that's the way the King James translation reads. Most other translations use the word heal. The little girl was healed. And that's the common word for healing in the Greek language that's used here. It's the same one that occurs in Acts 10.38. And this Greek word, aamea, is a word that literally means to be to set free. And in the New Testament, it's used in various ways. It's, it's used to be mean to set free from sin, or to be set free from error, or to set free from sickness, or to set free from demons. So we see that when a person is delivered of evil spirits that there is a healing that comes to that person. Now, there are a couple of other verses that we look at, and these use the word healing in relationship to demons, but it's a different Greek word. We find it, first of all, in Matthew 4 and verse 24. Now, in that particular verse, there is a listing of several different kinds of infirmities or sicknesses from which people are delivered. It mentions, for example, epilepsy and paralysis. And then it says, an evil spirit. And pertaining to the paralysis, the epilepsy, the various things of, of physical healing, it mentions demons that people were 
healed of evil spirits. Now, another place where that same verse is used is in the 8th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. In the first couple of verses there, we read that Jesus was going about and preaching the Gospel of the Kingdom, and there were certain women who had been very especially blessed through the ministry of Jesus, and it says that they were delivered of evil spirits. In fact, it says that they were healed of infirmities and of evil spirits. Now, it makes a distinction in that verse. They received physical healing. They were healed of infirmities. And they were also healed of evil spirits. Now, there is more to us that needs to be healed than physical things. Many of us need a healing within ourselves from brokenheartedness, from the wounds and hurts of rejection. And this is what we're discovering is the meaning of that word, or of that verse, of these verses, that relate healing to deliverance. There is an inner healing that results when a person experiences a thorough deliverance. We've seen it over and over again, an inner healing. A lot is being said today about inner healing. Some people said, Brother Frank, do you believe in inner healing? I said, I sure do. I've been involved in it for 20 years through deliverance. Because as we minister deliverance to people, we discover that the end result is that they get healed. Now, if you get a wound in your flesh, you say you get a cut on your hand, you know that you need to put some kind of an antiseptic to cleanse that wound because you want to do everything to prevent infection. Because if that wound becomes infected, then you have a compounded problem. Not only does the wound need to be healed, but the infection has to be gotten out. In fact, the wound cannot be healed until the infection is dealt with. Now, that is parallel to the kind of a wound that we get. When people say things and do things to us that hurt us and wound us internally, that is a wound that also needs to be healed. And sometimes we pay more attention to the physical healing need than we have to the inner healing need. But sometimes the inner healing need is giving us more problem than the physical healing that we need. And so we see that if we do not cleanse the wound that we receive when people do bad things towards us, that it leaves that wound open for an infection to get into it. Now, God has provided a wonderful antiseptic that when anyone hurts you, somebody trespasses against you, somebody does something despicable to you, and it really hurts bad, the Lord has provided a spiritual antiseptic and you can just cleanse out that wound so it will never get infected. Do you know the name of that spiritual antiseptic? Forgiveness. That's right, I hear it. It's called forgiveness. If somebody hurts you, all you have to remember is, I forgive. And when you minister forgiveness towards that other person, it cleanses that wound so that it will not become festered and infected. But if forgiveness does not come forth, then the wound is left open and vulnerable, and a spiritual infection will get into it. Do you know that 25 times in the New Testament, demons are referred to as unclean spirits? So you might think of them as being spiritual germs. 
And these spiritual germs are floating around just looking for a wound to get into and infect. And so they come around and they find somebody that's been hurt. Somebody that's been wounded by cruel words and cruel actions from somebody else. And they say, aha, here's a wound and this wound hasn't been cleansed. The spiritual antiseptic hasn't been applied. So that's an opportunity for me to get in and to do my thing. So we're dealing in deliverance ministry with cleansing out wounds and the things that have come by way of infection into those wounds. So you be open tonight. God has got some good things for you. Because the wound, some of you have been wounded for a long time. Some of you were wounded in just very terrible ways. Some of you are in a process of being wounded right now. But I've got good news for you. Jesus the healer is here tonight. Jesus the Deliverer is here tonight and He's here to minister to you and to minister relationships to those wounds that you've received, that you've experienced. Now, let's go on and we're going to see that rejection is a root problem. A root problem. We're talking about when we get deliverance, we have to get to the roots of things. It's one of the worst wounds and often one of the most neglected of wounds. Do you know that everybody needs love? Everyone needs love. When does that love need to begin? As soon as a person is conceived in their mother's womb. A child needs to be conceived in love. If that child is not conceived in love, automatically there's a problem on the horizon. That child should be carried in the mother's womb in love, be birthed in love, and be raised in love. It's important because all of us have to have love. Everything in the kingdom of God is related to love because God himself is love. How did you get into the kingdom of God? Well, you said it was through my faith. Yes, but faith worketh by love. And how did God appeal to you? When God wanted to save you and bring you into his kingdom... He appealed to you with his love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him... How can you believe in someone that you do not know loves you? So first of all, God says, I want you to know that I've loved you, and I've loved you so much, I've sent my Son to die on the cross for you, and because you see my love, then you can have faith in me, and you can believe in Jesus, and you can have eternal life. In Romans 5, 8, it says that God commendeth his love toward us. Or you can say that in a different way, say God recommends his love towards us. God comes to you and he says, I have a recommendation. I, I want to recommend something real good to you. He said, while you were yet a stinking sinner, Jesus Christ died for your sins. <laughs> I want to recommend to you my love. I tell you, that God couldn't do anything more to prove His love for us. Do you realize there's no love in the demonic kingdom? Wouldn't it be terrible to spend eternity with a bunch in which there was no love? Demons don't love each other. They don't love the devil. They don't love one another in the demonic kingdom. And we're beginning to see this, why Satan hates love. Because if there is an atmosphere of love, then there's an atmosphere in which the devil is made inoperable. You know, you can create a spiritual atmosphere that the devil is bound and he can't move in. Like it says in 
Psalm 149 concerning praise. It says, But you enter into the high places of God, and you will bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. The demons can't operate in an atmosphere of praise. I tell you, they won't get out of here when we start praising. They can't function in that praise because God inhabits that praise. And the same thing is true concerning love. You find a family where the husband and wife love each other, agape love, sacrificial love, self-giving love, and the parents love the children, the children love the parents. That's an atmosphere in which the devil is not able to do his evil thing. But if hatred gets in, if resentment and bitterness and anything opposite of love gets into that family, then the devil starts, aha, that gives me right, and so he moves in and he starts doing his thing. The same thing in the body of Christ, in the church. We should know one another, know that we're the Lord's by our love. But sometimes the atmosphere of love gets broken down in a fellowship of believers. And that's when the enemy moves in. Can you see how important it is then to stay in love? That love is a power that defeats the power of the devil in our lives. Now, when the wound of rejection has occurred, you're going to find that there are a couple of companions that go right along with the rejection itself. The first is fear of rejection. <clears throat> now, suppose that you've been hurt. I guess some of you don't even need to suppose that. You could just reckon with the fact, well, I've been hurt. All right, what happens next? You say, well, I don't want that to happen to me again, right? I mean, that's painful. So you don't want it to happen. So what do you do to keep it from happening? You begin to build a wall. You begin to throw up some kind of a defense. And fear of rejection becomes to you a defense mechanism. As long as I'm afraid of being rejected again, that's going to keep me on my P's and Q's. That's going to keep me alert, and I'm not going to let people slip up on me and hurt me unawares. If somebody starts approaching me and wants to have a relationship with me, I'm going to hold them off at arm's length and say, you don't get close to me because I don't know how you're going to treat me, I don't know how you're going to relate to me, and so we're not going to have any close relationship until I get you diagnosed. See, that's what we're saying on the inside. We may not say that outside in action words, but that's what we're feeling on the inside. Now, this means that I become suspicious of people when I've been hurt. And you come up and, and you say good morning to me, and I think, now what did they really mean when they said good morning? <laughs> Let me look at the expression on their face. I'm going to read every wrinkle on their countenance. I'm going to listen to the inflection of their words when they said good morning. Now, they probably really don't like me. See, that's suspicion. That's distrust of other people. That goes into what the world has designated as being paranoid. People who are suspicious and distrustful. So... When you find a person who's paranoid and they're suspicious and distrustful that other people don't like them and are plotting against them and trying to persecute them, you will find every time the root of that is the fear of rejection and the fear of rejection is rooted in the actual hurt of rejection. Now the other companion is self-rejection. You don't like yourself. See, when other people reject you, there's a real possibility that you'll get out on yourself. Well, I guess there is something terrible bad with me. Nobody could love me the way I am. 
I told you the other night, you know, when I was growing up, I was a string bean. I was tall and skinny as anything you ever saw. And I didn't like me. I looked in the mirror and I just hated what looked back at me out of the mirror. Big old acne sores all over my face. And my ears were big. Anyhow, and when you're skinny, you know, they look bigger than ever. And so they were just standing straight out from my head, you know. And kids at school would tease me, you know, and say, The wind's blowing today, Lincoln. You better get in out of the wind because you're going to blow away. It's just like sails on a ship. And my big old clumsy feet, number 12 size shoe, you know, and all of that. And here I am trying to enter, uh, get girls interested in me and, and all this going on. And so I hate myself. I reject myself. Now, when you reject yourself, that means that you're rejecting yourself as God made you, so you've got to be somebody or something else. See, I carried that on into when I became a preacher. When, when God called me to preach, I just felt totally unworthy to be a preacher. I, I was so in fear, I was so timid and shy and insecure, it just scared me. My knees would smite one against the other if I got up and tried to say anything. It, I just was miserable. Well, I said, well, I can't be accepted the way I am, so I'll try to be like somebody else. So I would watch other preachers, you know, ones that were real affected, like Brother Ron, you know, that, that you know, people just looked up to and admired and was so handsome and all that, and I would just want to be like somebody. <laughs> and so I would see that one of these preachers, you know, what made him effective to me was the way he gestured, you know, the way he used his hand when he preached. And so the next time I'd get up to preach, well, I'd do like he did, you know. One day out of May asked me, she said, Frank, would you please tell me why you always act like the last preacher you heard preach? Because I had rejected myself and I was taking on a different personality, trying to emulate somebody who I wasn't, and the personalities I was taking on were false personalities. Now, the world has a designation from that. for that. They call that schizophrenia. A person who has multiple personalities. So when I got around to deliverance, I had to get delivered from schizophrenia and paranoia. Some people say, how do you understand this stuff so well, Brother Frank? Because I went through it. <laughs> I've been delivered from it. I don't know how many different personalities I might have had. And they were false personalities and they were demonic personalities. And so tonight, God's going to set some of you free from those personalities that you've invited into yourself because you've rejected yourself. Now, I believe we're ready for the next transparency, and we're going to see some of the reasons for rejection. How do these rejection spirits get into us, anyhow? First of all, it could be an unwanted pregnancy. Why wouldn't a baby be wanted when it's conceived? Well, for a variety of reasons. Maybe it was conceived out of wedlock. And the couple weren't trying to have a baby. They were just indulging their sexual appetites. And now a baby's on the way, and they said, Oh, no, we didn't plan this. This is an intrusion in our lives. And so instantly, the baby is rejected. Kind of interesting, something I read in a book on childbirthing when I was waiting for my grandson to be born. He was about ten days later than we anticipated. And my daughter had accumulated some books that doctors had written about childbirthing. And I stumbled through them, and I found where one doctor said, We believe that a baby knows by the time it's a few weeks formed in the mother's womb whether or not it's loved. 
And I showed that to Ida May, and I said, you know, we discovered that a long time ago through our ministry of deliverance. Some people think a baby's not a baby until it's born, but it's a baby when it's conceived, and it has feelings. You know, you can minister to a baby in the womb. You can minister positively, or you can minister negatively. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And the devil says, okay, the Holy Spirit's going to try to minister to people before they're born. I'll minister to people before they're born. But he can't get in just because he wants to. But if the wound of rejection there, and the parents or those that conceive that baby for any reason do not want that baby, then the wound of rejection occurs, and the spirit of rejection can come into that wound. Many times we've ministered to women still carrying the baby in their body and cast out the spirit of rejection before the child was ever born. Now, it could be for other reasons. It could be after uh, a child is born. Well, the other reasons why they're conceived in the womb. Say, let me run through a few things there. It could be because the baby is born or conceived too soon after a couple gets, gets married. They didn't plan to start the family that soon, so reject the baby on that basis. It could be that the baby is born in too close a proximity with a previous child. Or it could be the financial expenses that loom up, and we can't afford to have a baby rejected on that basis. Maybe the mother and father are having conflicts between each other, and they say, well, this is no time to have a baby. We're on the verge of divorce. So a lot of reasons why babies are rejected in the womb. And undoubtedly, this happened to some of you, and you're going to get set free from spirits of rejection tonight that came into you while you were still in your mother's body. Hallelujah. Now, after you're born, you can be rejected. So I told you, I think last night, that my mother determined that I was going to be a girl. And when I was born, Nellie Catherine wasn't the right name for me. But mother didn't give up on it, and she kept reminding me as I grew up that I was a disappointment to her, that she had picked me out to be a daughter, and I wasn't. She ended up with three boys and no girls. So it was a special disappointment to her that I was not her daughter. But I couldn't help that. <coughs> I mean, that's just the way it was. But I experienced the wound of rejection because my mother wanted me to be female instead of male. Another kind of rejection comes because of undesirable appearance, maybe some kind of a birth defect when a child is born, or a victim of circumstances, the way the child is treated when it's born. If it's born in a hospital, and if they just instantly take the baby away from the family and the mother and the father and put it in a nursery and start sticking needles in it and tubes in it and all those sort of things, then that's a rude uh, entrance into the world for that baby. And we found that many spirits of rejection have gotten into children the way they were treated. They, would not have, they did not have an opportunity to bond to the mother and father as they naturally should. And so they experienced that uh, rejection and resultant insecurity. It also could be because of abuse. Years ago, Adam and I, a long time before we knew anything about deliverance, we took a young man in our home. We found him at 18 years of age, a ward of the county, and he was in the psychiatric hospital, county hospital. And we went to visit him because he'd been attending our church some and to see what had happened to him. And so the authorities there said, this young man has no place to go. He's 18 years of age. We cannot any longer keep him in the county facility, and he has no family, nowhere to go. Would you ask in your church if somebody would take him? Well, we made the announcement, but nobody seemed impressed. 
And God just moved on our hearts that we should take him into our home. And this is what we found out. This is what the authorities told us. They showed us pictures. At the age of 14, this boy was found severely physically abused. A member of the family had beaten him with an iron rod, and his head was fractured in several places. One of his eyeballs had been dislodged from the socket, and they found it hanging down on his cheekbone when they discovered him. His arms had burns when he was burned with cigarettes. He had gone through tremendous, terrible physical abuse. And that's the reason he ended up in the psychiatric hospital. Now, we didn't know about deliverance, but we did know something about love. And it's amazing how much healing, just love and security of a home provided for that young man. And a few years later, we did learn about deliverance, and he was one of the first ones we ministered to. And so he finished. We helped him through college, and he got his... Uh, teaching certificate and he's been a school teacher now for a good many years has three grown children all of them tongue talkers and all of them walking in the ways of God <laughs> but he said many times he said dad mom that's what he calls us he said what would have happened to me you know if you hadn't taken me in the result of physical abuse some of the abuse is verbal now there's an old adage that says sticks and stones will break my bones but words will never hurt me well, that's not scriptural, and that's not true, because you can be hurt. And some of you have grown up, and you've just heard a lot of garbage thrown at you. You're no good. You'll never amount to anything. Why can't you ever do anything right? I wish you'd never been born. Why don't you drop dead? And you hear stuff like that all the time, and I tell you, that hurts. That's the wound of rejection. And some of you have been treated that way, and God's going to set you free from the results of those wounds in your life. Another major area of abuse is sexual abuse. Now that's something that we like to sweep under the carpet and not like to think about and talk about too much. But some people have been sexually abused and it's caused serious repercussions in their personalities. And God wants you to be set free from that. We're in the body of Christ and we're in a place and an age when we can be transparent and we can just let it be known if we've had those kind of problems and we can be set free. If you've been molested, I'd say about one out of every four women has been molested, and about one out of eight young men in their childhood have been molested. It's very common. If you've been molested or a victim of incest or rape, that is a violation of you, it is a crime against you, and it is a wounding of you of abuse that needs to be healed, it needs to be dealt with. I've got more good news. Jesus is here to heal and to restore. Other kinds of rejection are sources of rejection. Peer rejection. Where did I ever get that one? <clears throat> I was a Baptist preacher for 19 years. I got the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And boy, I had been praying. I'd been praying on my knees night and day for two and a half years. And I said, God, there's got to be something else. There's got to be something more. I tell you, serving you and serving the church is just such tedious work. Too many committed meetings. There's got to be something better. And God showed me it was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I got baptized in the Holy Spirit and began to get energized with the power of God. And I thought, all my Baptist brethren are going to get so excited when I share this with them. <laughs> they said, oh, that's good news, Brother Frank. I'm glad you told us. No, you know that wasn't it. I got totally rejected. I was working for the whole mission board, got fired. That meant that I lost my salary. 
That meant that I lost my health insurance, lost my retirement program, lost all my reputation I spent 19 years trying to build up, lost all my friends overnight. A week later, I ended up in a hospital. I was having severe chest pains, and they thought I'd had some kind of a heart attack. And they put me under sedation for a week and ran all kinds of tests on me. They couldn't find anything with all their equipment and machines. They never could come to any conclusion about it. But I know what it was. It was the trauma of the rejection of my peers. That is a severe rejection. Sometimes the rejection comes through marriage, in the family. Husbands rejecting wives and wives rejecting husbands. That's painful. God's here to heal and restore. Sometimes it's rejections in the church. I've ministered to people who have been rejected by their pastors and church leaders. An extreme trauma over that kind of rejection. I've also ministered to pastors who have really been hurt and mistreated and rejected by members of their church. I've ministered to Christians who have been hurt by other Christians. Now you know that's so. You know that sort of thing happens. These things ought not to be, but they are. These things have happened. But I've got good news for you again. Jesus is here to heal you and restore you of all those wounds. Now, I've got more material here than I can really cover in one night thoroughly, so we're going to have to kind of skip and jump a little bit. Let's go ahead to the next stage of our outline. We're going to look at the reactions to rejection. I want you to see that this is a very homiletical outline. Remember, I went to a seminary, and we learned how to put sermons together in homiletical fashion. So we have rejection. We have rejection, the root problem. We have the reasons for rejection. Now we have the reactions to rejection. And then we're going to have readjustments to rejection. And then we're going to have repercussions from the wrong reactions and the wrong readjustments. And then we're going to see the remedy. Yeah. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> reactions. All right, here's a few of them. One of them is rebellion. You know, God put us in a school where we were learning deliverance. We were in a basement of our home up in the mountains of Colorado. Ice and snow up there about eight or nine months of the year. And God would send people to us. I mean, they'd just come from anywhere and everywhere. And we got into a big, extensive ministry with hippies. And some of them got saved. And when they got saved, they got zealous, became missionary. And they'd go round up all the hippies they could find and bring them to our house. And most of them were down in Denver. We were about 80 miles from Denver up in the mountains. And, and these hippies would go all around in a business area of Denver and around the courthouse or Capitol grounds down there and round up all the hippies they could find. One weekend, I remember they brought 35 of them. <laughs> Spend the weekend with us. <laughs> I mean, right off the street, you know, still had marijuana in their pockets and everything. We learned something ministering to hippies. They were rebels. That's no surprise, is it? I mean, they had rebelled against anything that smacked of authority. But as we begin to minister to them and begin to deal with rebellion, we found that their rebellion was a reaction to the hurt of rejection. They had been rejected by their own families. They had been hurt. And so they said, well, if that's the way they feel, I don't care. I don't have to obey them. And so they just went to do their own thing. So rebellion is a reaction. Another common reaction is resentment. 
See, if you get hurt, it's very easy to get resentful, isn't it? Have you discovered that? It's so easy just to become unforgiving and have some hatred come up in your heart and get angry towards other people. may even want to retaliate and strike back and get violent and kick the door down. That's a reaction to the wound of rejection. Another reaction is self-pity. Now, of course, here we're talking about other people, the ones that didn't come to the meeting tonight. Because none of you sweethearts ever had a pity party, did you? You never just got so down and feeling so bad because you weren't loved that you went in your room and shut the door behind you and said, I'm going to have a party and just me, myself, and I get together. You know what self-pity is? Self-pity is a process by which a person makes himself miserable. Did you ever get did you, did you ever get edified through a pity party? I mean, after you had a pity party, just come out of the room, you know, and say, Hallelujah, God from me, so I just feel wonderful. Well, you just get more and more miserable. So that's the reason you know that pity parties are not of God. Because if pity parties were of God, they would have a healing aspect to it. They'd bring you forth to victory and you'd get exhilarated and lifted up. But no, they take you on into depression and discouragement and despondency and hopelessness and wishing you were dead and wanting to commit suicide. Another one of the, the things that people do to react is to withdraw. Well, I've been hurt, so I'm going to hide. And some people withdraw in different ways. Some people withdraw with alcohol. I'll just blast my brains with booze until I can't remember what was bothering me. Some people do it with drugs. Just bomb out on drugs. Some people do it with fantasy. They make and create a make-believe world. And in this make-believe fantasy land, then they can be happy. They can be successful. They can be a hero or a heroine. I mean, everything's beautiful. I just lock out all the real world and ignore the real world, and I just live in my little fantasy land. Some people withdraw into sleep. You've wondered why some people, when it's time to get up, they just pull the cover up over their head? They're hiding. They say, if I get up, I'm going to have to face reality. <laughs> I'm going to have to run into things that cause responsibility and may cause me problems, so I just hide under here. Some people have escaped into mental illness. A lot of people in mental hospitals are there because their real world got so miserable they said, I'm just going to escape. And so they went into mental illness, brought it on by themselves, and ended up in that condition. Well, we're learning some things, right? That those are not proper ways to react to the wounds of rejection. Number seven on the list is depression, hopelessness. We mentioned that. Look down to number ten. <clears throat> number ten <clears throat> is a spirit of hardness. The person who has been hurt so often wants to build a shell around himself to protect himself. Have you ever thought about how wonderful God, uh, what a wonderful thing God did for turtles? <laughs> you know, a turtle gets threatened. And harm comes towards him. All he has to do is pull his head and tail his legs in and say, Aha, I'm in my orange head. You can't get me. 
But see, God didn't give us a hard shell like he did a turtle. And if we create one of our own, we create a hardness around ourselves, and that's going to color our whole personality. It's going to affect our ability to serve the Lord because the Lord has commissioned us to minister in compassion, in kindness, in tenderness, in love. But if we built up an old hard shell and say, well, I've had all the rough treatment I'm going to have. Nobody's going to hurt me anymore, bless God. You can say what you want to and do what you want to, but you're not going to hurt me. Well, that's just whistling in the dark. Hardness. Some people have developed a hard personality. I want to go back. You know, you're talking about how people withdraw into fantasy. I think a lot of people enjoy this thing that happened to us one time. Soon after we got into the ministry of deliverance, we had two young women that came to us for ministry. They were 28, 29 years of age, and neither one of them had married. But both of them, you know, anticipated that Prince Charming was going to come, and they were going to get married. So one of these girls had an inordinate affection for animals. You know, because she wasn't loved with human love, she got love through a little dog, a little chihuahua dog. And so she had d developed a personality of a dog, trying to relate to dogs. And so we were going to deliver her from this dog personality thing. Now, the other girl said, I'm not sure about this, but let me explain to you. She said, all of my life I have fantasized about buffaloes. She said, if you'd come to my house, you would find that I've decorated everything with everything I can find pertaining to buffaloes. I have pictures of buffaloes. I have stuffed buffaloes. I have ceramic buffaloes. I have a buffalo hide on the floor for a carpet. And she said, I also fantasize that one day I'm going to get married. And I, I, every night before I go to sleep, I go through it in my mind again. And she said, here I am, and I'm dressed in a beautiful white dress, wedding dress with a long veil, and I'm coming down the aisle of the church to get married, and I'm coming down the aisle, side saddle on a buffalo. <laughs> she said, do you think that might be a demon? Now, we've never encountered this sort of thing before. But we were real suspicious, and we said, yes, we, we think it could be a demon. So I mean I had a little discussion about what to call this thing. And we came up with something very clever. We decided to call it a spirit of buffalo. <laughs> so we, we all ready now for the ministry. We said, you spirit of buffalo, you come out. And that spirit manifested. And it caused that woman to begin to sing a song. And she started singing, Buffalo gal ain't coming out tonight, ain't coming out. <laughs> and we said, you buffalo gal, you are coming out tonight. <laughs> In the name of Jesus, you're coming out. Well, when the buffalo song started, the girl with the dog personality stood, that thing manifested, and the chihuahua started barking at the buffalo. Yap, 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 yap. <laughs> Glory to God.
that was many years ago. But a few years, a few, just a few years ago, we were back up in Colorado where all this took place, and a lady came to the meeting and she says, "Do you remember me?" And it was the girl that had been delivered from the dog personality. And she was so happy. She was recounting you know, how free she got from that. And we said, do you know what happened to your friend that had the buffalo spirit? She said, yes. Do you know that she's married now? She married a preacher and they're serving the Lord out in California. I said, I've just got to know. When she got married, did she go side side on the buffalo? <laughs> She said no. <laughs> she was free. She didn't have to do that. All right, we'd better hurry off. <laughs> like I said, you get your entertainment in this ministry. Now, here are things that people do to readjust to the wounds of rejection. See, all of these reactions are sinful reactions. And because rebellion and resentment and self-pity and withdrawal, all of those are unscriptural ways of relating to the hurt, then it's a sinful approach and it opens the door for demons of that nature. So the demonic chain is growing longer and longer and longer. You start with a chain link of rejection and then you have a chain link of fear of rejection and then self-rejection and then you have rebellion, you have resentment, you have self-pity, you have escapism and all the rest of that garbage. So the demonic chain is getting longer which means that the person is going to be put into more and more bondage. Now, a person wants to get relief from that. A person wants to find some way to get some acceptance. So guess what I did? I decided the way that you alleviate some of that pain of rejection is to be able to do something so perfectly that when other people notice how perfect you can do things, they will say, Oh, Frank, you are so wonderful. You know, you just do that so well. I wish I could do it like you do it. And then when they would say that, I would get lifted up in pride. And I can say, I can do it better than anybody. But sometimes I couldn't do it perfectly. Someone would interfere and interrupt with my perfect little plan. And when that happened, I would get frustrated. I would get impatient. I would become intolerant with other people who got in my way and kept me from doing something perfectly. And I might even get angry towards them. So this is what we call bondage perfectionism. People who have been wounded and hurt have a tendency to develop into perfectionism. Now, you can't be a complete perfectionist. I mean, that's just too much. So what you have to do, you have to specialize and say, well, in certain ways, I will be a perfectionist. And if you'll notice, somebody that's a perfectionist expects everyone around them to be as perfect as they are. And so that puts pressure on everybody else. See, I've known some women who were perfectionist housekeepers because they wanted their neighbors when they came in to say, Oh, you are so wonderful. Here it is, only 8 o'clock in the morning, and all the house is clean, everything, the beds are made up, the floors are vacuumed, the dishes are all put in the cabinet, everything is in apple pie order. Oh, how do you do it? I wish I could be like you. Pride comes in. But I tell you, I've been in some homes that the woman wouldn't permit me to put waste paper in the wastebasket. 
I mean, they were such perfectionists. They didn't want that wastebasket cluttered up. If you dropped the dirty Kleenex in there, boy, the first thing they did was grab it and take it out of the house. Now, remember, my mother wanted me to be a girl. And so she trained me, like I said, and I could cook and sew. When I got married, I didn't know all of these things. And it was driving me up the wall. Because, see, I was organized. Everything I did, I thought it through in advance, and I organized it, you know, and knew exactly what to do every little stage of the way so it would come out perfectly. But she didn't know how to do that. I mean, a simple thing like cook breakfast, you think anybody would know how to cook breakfast. That, that's not all that complicated. But I would watch her, and she'd go in the kitchen, and, and she'd put bacon in the skillet first, and just stand there and watch it. <laughs> Cook it with a fork once in a while. And here I'm all dressed and ready to go, you know, and breakfast is not ready. And I couldn't stand that. And I said, honey, let me show you how to cook breakfast. I said, think. <laughs> what takes longest to prepare? Start that first. And at that time we were having perched coffee. So I said, get the coffee to perk it because it's going to take it a while. Then put the bacon in the skillet. Now, if you notice, bacon doesn't have to have a lot of attention. It'll pretty well sizzle by itself. And while it's sizzling away, that's the time that you need to set the table. So get the table set and get a couple of slices of bread and put them in the toaster. It'll push the button down. Just get the bread slices in the toaster. Now, by the time you've done that, the bacon is through. You put it out on the paper to block, and we're ready to fry the eggs. Now, remember, I like mine over easy. Now, when you turn it over to fry it on the second side, that's when you push the toaster button. <laughs> All right, so the egg comes out, and the toaster pops up, and the coffee pot quits perking, and everything comes out hot and even. You know what she told me? <laughs> For 25 years, I cooked breakfast. <laughs> Praise God for deliverance. Hallelujah. <laughs> Well, if some of you can laugh at me, and others of you have to laugh with me. <laughs> Readjustments. False compassion, false responsibility. See, the person who's been rejected is so easy because they're looking, they're desperate for love relationships. It's easy to be tricked by Satan and to be drugged in, and tricked into a relationship that's going to do you harm rather than good. Now, that comes by a person having a false compassion. Here's somebody, and they're in a big mess, and they're in a pit of sin, and if I don't help them, who is, who is going to help them? See, it's going to be my fault if they don't get free, if they don't get saved, and so you try to get them out, and you try to help them, instead of helping them out, you fall into their problem with them. A lot of people have got into sexual problems that way. I'm going to help this person. You know, they're really struggling. They're having such a hard time, and they're such growth centers. But I know I can help them, you know. And you get in there trying to help them and end up in the same perverseness that they're in. Now, along with that, in that false compassion, there comes this inordinate affection for animals. 
Now you watch this. You're going to see this over and over again. People who have been hurt by people have a proneness to gravitate towards pets and say, I'm going to get my love need through my canary bird, through my kitty cat, through my puppy dog. Now some of you are punching each other. You watch out for that because you're going to get punched back here in a minute. That's dangerous business. <laughs> you just take care of your demons. <laughs> Word to the wise, the sufficient. <laughs> and some people don't like me to talk about that, getting all involved with their pets. See, the only way you can really get involved with these animals, like this girl, she's taken on a dog personality because she's not on the same wavelength that a dog is. So in order to relate to the dog, she had to be like a dog. And some people get out on their all fours in the floor and talk to their dog and even let the dog be their counselor. You know, they, let me tell you, you know, what happened to me today. And they, they sometimes, they will try to humanize the pet. You know, they'll make it a member of the family. I've been to places, you know, like one home we went to and a young lady there had a little chihuahua and it was her baby. This is my baby, which meant that her mother was the grandmother of the chihuahua. And his brothers and sisters with aunts and uncles and all that kind of stuff. So that's humanizing the animal. Now, how do you know if you've gone too far? If you humanize the animal, if you dehumanize yourself, if something that happens to an animal, an injury or a death, is more tra traumatic than if it had been a person, you can know it's wrong. Or you can also know it's wrong if you feel threatened or offended by what I've just said. Amen. You still love me? Don't reject me. It's because I speak the truth in love. Now, we can't look at all of this. You see sexual lust, material lust, those are readjustments. People trying to find love many times get into the accumulation of material things or get into sexual experiences thinking that through sex they're going to find that love need met. But when you have illicit sex, it never satisfies the love need. It ministers confusion and condemnation and fears of all kinds, and so it does not minister to the love need. That's the devil's counterfeit of love. Lust is. Look at the last one down the list. <clears throat> On November 7th, attention-getting devices. I wanted to point that one out because that was another one that I did to try to readjust. Now, as serious and dignified as I am today, you would never guess that I used to act like a clown. <laughs> never anything was ever serious to me. When I was 25 years of age, the Lord began to call me to enter the ministry. And I was still living at home with my family. I had a man I married when I was 26. So I was still at home, and my mother noticed that my mood had changed. I was getting real serious because I was fighting that call to preach. Mother being perceptive, you know, she challenged me. She said, Frank, what's the matter with you? You're not acting right. But she meant I'm not acting silly like I normally did. And I, I said, nothing, Mother. Nothing's bothering me. But she said, yes, I know it is. And so she kept probing me until finally I said, well, I believe the Lord's calling me into the ministry. Now, my mother, a Christian mother, she had longed that one of her boys would be called into the ministry. And she thought it was going to be my younger brother that he was going to be a missionary. And so when I told Mother that I thought the Lord was calling me to be a preacher, 
She just shook her head and said, I don't believe it. And I said, why not, Mother? She said, Frank, you are 25 years of age. And as far as I know, you have never had a serious thought in your head. Now, that was a cover-up. That was a tension-getting device. I would be the life of the party. I always could tell a joke. I could always give a quip. I could always make people laugh. I'd act silly and act like a monkey. And people just liked to have me around at the party because I was that way. But what I was doing, I was covering up the hurt that I really felt down inside. I was laughing on the outside, but I was crying on the inside. And some of you are there, and God's going to do something good for you tonight. Well, we'd better skip the next division. You read about it in the book. Go on to the last page there, the remedy for rejection. Let's look at that, and then we'll get to some time of ministry. We're doing pretty good. What do we do to get out of all this problem? Number one, you have to be teachable. There's some people that desperately needed deliverance that I couldn't help because they were not teachable. They would not listen to counsel. I tell people that I work like a spiritual doctor. You go to a doctor and you expect him to do the diagnosis. You expect him to prescribe the treatment and to follow through on it. And that's the way we have to work as spiritual counselors. It's our responsibility in God to diagnose, to prescribe the treatment, and for the other person to follow through. Sometimes the things that are told to us go across the grain. We say, I don't want to change. I don't want to be different. It's too hard. I don't think I can. Some people are very negative. Some people are very passive. They won't try. But I tell you, if you're going to be free, you have to be teachable. The second instance, you have to forgive. We've talked about that a lot. That is absolutely imperative. There are no exceptions. It doesn't make any difference who did something to you, how bad it hurt, how long it's been going on, or whether it's still current. God requires us to forgive all others. Some of you are going to have to forgive your mother and father. Some of you are going to have to forgive brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles and grandparents, and neighbors and friends, school teachers, people that you've worked with, people you've gone to church with, people in life that's hurt you and wounded you. You need to let the Lord call to your members those people that have hurt you and just as an act of your will between you and God, say, God, I release that person. I forgive that person. Because, Lord, I didn't deserve your forgiveness, and yet you were willing to forgive me. So I forgive people just in mercy like you forgave me in mercy. The next thing you have to forget. Some people are able to remember the hurts of the past as vividly as if they had happened five minutes ago. Some people who were wounded 30 years ago can remember it as readily as if it had just happened today. Because there is a spirit of memory recall 
that operates to call to your remembrance every day all the bad things that people have said and done because that keeps unforgiveness alive in you when you keep the memory of the hurt alive. So you've got to remember to forget and not be a prisoner of the past. Not dwell in the past. Forgetting those things which are behind. Then you can press on and you can move to your spiritual goal. Then you need to repent. Repent of what? All of your sins. And repent of all of your bad reactions to the wound of rejection. Repent of your rebellion. Repent of your resentment. Repent of self-pity. Repent of feeling hopeless. Repent of depression. Repent of withdrawing. Repent of all of your sins and ask God to forgive you. And then be reconciled which means to do as much as you can to restore broken relationships. Number six, stabilize in God's love. I can't guarantee anyone that other people will always love you and treat you right. But I can guarantee you that God is a just God. He's a righteous God. He's a faithful God. And God will love you. If He loved you while you were yet a sinner enough to give Jesus to die for you, Will he continue to love you? As a Christian, he'll love you enough to give you a spanking when you need it. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Scourgeth every son that he receiveth. Out of love, God does that because God doesn't want to see his children end up in all sorts of miserable situations. He wants them to be disciplined and to walk in ways of peace and righteousness where they'll have victory in their lives. So get secure in God's love. Don't ever doubt God's love. Be able to say with absolute assurance and conviction, I know God loves me. Yeah. Let's practice that. Say, God loves me. Well, oh, you can do better than that. Say it again. God loves me. Now, do you know that? Now, maybe you don't feel it completely. Don't be concerned about feeling right now. Just know because God's Word tells you so. God loves you. He's loved you through Jesus Christ. He loves you enough to forgive you of your sins and to give you eternal life. Know that God loves you. Get secure in God's love and then you can get stabilized in human relationships. And if somebody else does hurt you and reject you, it will not cause you to disintegrate because you are stabilized in your relationship with God. Jesus was despised and rejected by men more than we ever will be. Did that mean that Jesus became schizophrenic and paranoid? Not at all. Does that mean that Jesus got angry, kicked the slaps out of things? That he got filled with hatred and bitterness? No, while he was being crucified, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Father, forgive them. Jesus applied the spiritual antiseptic. And he was not destroyed by the rejection that came from men because of his relationship with God the Father. He was secure in that relationship. This is a major goal, a major objective in our spiritual walk, that we become secure in the love of God. The minister we were in, I, I used to be so easily hurt. I was so sensitive. 
such a dreadful fear of confrontation. If I found anyone disagreeing with me at all, I just couldn't sleep for weeks. Thank God for Jesus and for deliverance. That's miserable. That's miserable. Some people, even occasionally yet, will challenge me and say, you're the devil. Your deliverance ministry is with the devil. You're a false prophet. <laughs> and now I can smile and say, I'm sorry you have a problem. <laughs> because I'm securing God. Jesus came in my bedroom and called me to this ministry. <laughs> it's a scriptural ministry. Jesus said, if I'm not busy with it, then I'm a mystic. <laughs> I know I'm on a scriptural basis. I see the fruit of the ministry. Hallelujah. I'm secure in it. I want you to be secure in your relationship with God, the ministry He's given you. Then get your deliverance. After deliverance, fill your house. Now, we're not going to have a lot of time in the conference to emphasize that. I think we've sold out of tapes on living above the snake line. That tells you how to keep your deliverance, how to keep climbing until you get to a spiritual altitude where the snakes don't live anymore. But you have to fill yourself. There are some people you know say, well, Brother Frank, you've ministered deliverance to me, now fill my house. Now, I used to do that. I used to try to do that. I'd grab people by the top of the head, you know, and I'd say, oh, God, don't let them come back seven times worse. God, fill them up, fill them up, fill them up. Oh, Holy Spirit, come and fill them up. I quit doing that. Not that I quit praying for people that I minister to and pray that they'll move on in God, but I found out that the people who get deliverance have to fill their own houses. Now, I can encourage them and instruct them in that, but some people don't know what to fill themselves with. It's quite simple. You fill yourself with the opposite thing from which you have been delivered. If you get all nasty spirits of lust cast out, then you're going to fill yourself with purity. Your eye is going to be pure. You're not going to look at pornography. You're going to have a disciplined eye. You're going to have a disciplined mind. And you're not going to let lustful thoughts just play around in your mind. The moment they come in, you're going to get them out and fill your mind with purity. And when you're filled with purity in your thoughts, in your eyes, in your body, then lust can't come back in. Because your house is full of purity. If you get rid of a spirit of fear, you're going to begin to fill yourself with trust in God. The psalmist said, At what time I'm afraid I will trust in God. If you're trusting, you can't be afraid. Because you trust God. God, you're my provider, you're my protector, you're my everything. Nothing's going to get me. So what is there to be afraid of? So you fill yourself with trust. Fill yourself with the opposite from what you got delivered. And then the last thing, and we'll get to that probably tomorrow night, is to be comforted by God, to receive the comfort of God's Holy Spirit. See, once you get the wound cleansed out, get your house filled, then the original wound needs to be comforted. That's the way the Bible teaches that the wounded spirit is healed. It is healed by comfort. Where does comfort come from? It comes from God.
How do you receive it? By grace through faith. Say, Holy Spirit, you're the comforter. You come and you minister to me and you comfort me. And you'll be made whole. You'll be made healed. And when you're made whole and you're made healed, then you are going to be able to minister to other people. Because you will have been brought out of all imprisonment to self and all concern and preoccupation with self and self's needs because self is taken care of. And then you can give yourselves in the love of God to others and help others to be set free. Can anybody say amen? Amen. Amen. Well, we've got a little while before we rush home and go to bed to get some of these things out. I know the demons hadn't liked this tonight. They never do. Because, see, they've been exposed. The light of truth has come in, and you felt some of them kicking around in there, haven't you? You felt some of them getting nervous and restless and saying, Oh, you better leave. You know, this is getting pretty serious. I'm thankful that you've stuck it out. So don't leave now. Let's enter into some ministry. God's got good things. Let's be in prayer. Let's pray down the power, full power of God's anointing. Let's not be concerned just about ourselves, but everyone that's in this room tonight. I found out the people back in the back corner back there that are Spanish-speaking people, that they're getting the message through an interpreter back there. Ida May went back there last night, and she said there was just all kinds of deliverance going on back there. Praise God. God loves everyone. God loves everyone. Stand to your feet. Praise God. That feel good? It's all right to stretch. Rub where it hurts if you need to. Praise the Lord. Work the numbness out. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise.
My name is Apostle Emmett Overton. I'm very elated to be here in these United States of America, bringing the Word of God. We'll be going back to our base station in Jamaica, back to Kingston's Jamaica. We'll be going back November 7th. We'll be bringing the Word live from Kingston's Jamaica for about six months. I tell you, rejection is a very powerful thing. And um, if you've been hurt, words people say, calling you negative words, racial slurs, and when you're angry and you get all upset, it really stir up other demons. Chaplain John Durden, you have the mic. Uh, yes, that uh, rejection, I guess that uh, can be more applicable to African Americans than others because uh, mostly in our lifestyle, we have been rejected um, most of all our ages. But, you know, I really enjoyed the, the, the teaching tonight by the brother. From what I can get is that we all just think we all want to belong. We all want to belong, but consequently, uh, we're not accepted by a few others because of whatever reason, our racial background, our educational, and these kinds of things. And we all have a fear of rejection. And now you got to remember, some of us experience fear that if we are not good enough, personal life will not fit in with the group. And possibly we will not be accepted. You can remember those as you were growing up, how you always wanted to fit in with the group and with the guys and, and with the clubs and all these other kinds of things. But I want you to know, most importantly, we must know who we are in Christ. That's significant. Not what we are in the flesh, but what we are in Christ. Despite our circumstances. I don't care where you live, but your race and everything else. But what we are in Christ. And another thing I want to say we should be proud of ourselves and never, never, never compromise our integrity. Let's believe what the word says about us. And you know what? Personally, I come to accept that when people reject you, it is their loss, not ours. And perhaps you are getting, uh, some of you are getting, uh, I guess, uh, respected because of who you are, which you belong to and everything else. But I want you to remember, in some cases, you are the swan. You are a swan among the ducks, and you know the difference between swans and ducks. And some people just be jealous of what you accomplished, who you are, like I said, because you're rich, because they'll see ours and these kinds of things. But I want you to know, in spite of that rejection, 
the word of God says this. Jesus says, anyone, anyone who accepts your message is also accepting. And anyone who rejects you, it is rejecting me. And anyone who respects me is respecting God and who sent me. Jesus said, if they don't respect, they don't respect, they're not going to respect you. You know, you're going to be rejected. But if you if you accept me, you will be rejected by my father in spite of their reasoning. God is a God of fairness. And just remember, and you just remember that what does God think of when judge others? Look at his word. So let's get away from that judgment and rejecting others because of their differences, whatever they may be. That person may be a child of God, a woman of God, and a man of God who loves the Lord with all their heart, you know. And unfortunately, like a whole year and a half, when folks call us, you know, and uh, okay, and they reject we need us. to go to the we need to go to the next statement. I got about three oh, minutes, okay. brother John. Okay. I got to get off there. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. We down to three. Okay, rejection is a spirit. It is a demonic spirit. When we look at the person and the people and the race, we're forgetting the spirit. It is a demon. Yes. Rejection yes. is a demonic spirit. Rejection is a demonic spirit. And if we don't look at it on the spiritual, we're going to miss it and look at the person and forget the demon in the person. The devil does one good thing, disguises himself and lets you see the person not the demon. God bless you here at Live Deliverance Internet Radio Ministries. That's all. Brother John, we want to thank you. Dr. Leroy Clilton says good evening. Uh, Chaplain Dr. W.D. Monroe says good evening. Good evening, Dr. Good evening. T. Butler says, good evening, Chaplain Durden, and Beaumont Baptist Church of the Deacon Association says, good evening. Good evening, gentlemen. Okay. God bless everyone. Hey, sow a seed and keep us on air. This is one of the most, <laughs> the financial thing is what the devil tries to attack here, and I keep trying to tell people, you have to sow a seed. If this ministry is blessing you, there are a lot of people that's not tithing, and the Lord is telling me to tell you, if you don't tithe, you're under curse. This is why you have financial problems. Now, I'm not saying that to get your money. You're cursed with a curse, two curses, Malachi 3.8. You have to tithe. But the prosperity ministry drain people, and I have to speak what the Holy Spirit said. There are many of you are struggling because you don't tithe. So into a ministry. Don't do it for the pastor. Do it for the Lord, Colossians 3.17. God bless you here at Live Deliverance Internet Radio. I got to get ready and go on air. Uh, we are also bringing the Word of God. We're back on YouTube. We're also teaching from Rumble. We're teaching from YouTube, Rumble, Blog Talk, Live Deliverance, and platforms. Fourteen years ago, we started with one. <laughs> and now we are teaching off of five platforms. If you go to Google and type in Emmett Overton, we have 40 platforms, iHeart, Podcasts, and a lot of people Google Podcasts. And just go to Google and type in Emmett Overton, and you'll see all of the contracts that we have with these affiliated podcasters. We are also a supporter of Derek Prince Ministries, the last modern-day apostle who's been known to raise three people from the dead. We are a Sabbath-keeping church. We do not believe in the fundamentals of the mind. We don't put people in position who is very well educated and who can articulate words. We don't use that here. We do not use physical minds, thinking. We try to zero in on the unseen. 
demons. We try to put a vocabulary in your spirit that we are not dealing with human beings. We are dealing with persons without bodies. God bless. Go to www.livedeliverance.com. On the lower left-hand side of the PayPal, there's an icon there. We'll be bringing the gospel also uh, in about another two more weeks to Germany. We are bringing the gospel every day at 1230 to uh, Finland. And you can let all of the Finnish people know that they can go to rumble.com uh, slash live deliverance. And we've only been on there two weeks, and we got 42 uh, subscribers all, all that fast out of Finland. We're also bringing the gospel into South Africa, Johannesburg, South Africa. And I will be going to Nairobi, Kenya, uh, February, April. I'll be in Nairobi, Kenya. Nairobi, Kenya in April, back in Jamaica in June. And then September of 2024, I'll be in Israel. God bless you. Shalom to you. Stay humble. Get out your mind. Stop thinking. Stop analyzing. Doesn't work. Leave that mind alone. The mind does not work in the ministry of deliverance. The mind does not work at all in the ministry of of deliverance the mind it doesn't work at all in this ministry the holy ghost god bless